Okay, that is, that is all the announcements I believe that I have this morning. I'd like us to pray, and, um, and then we'll look at the message today and, and turn once again to the book of Genesis. Okay, so join me in prayer. Father, I thank you for uh, this opportunity that we have to come together and to study your word. Thank you that you have communicated with us, and I thank you uh, for the freedom that you give us in our country to do this. Lord, I, I pray that you would open our hearts up. I pray that we would receive what you have for us. Lord, as we come together, there are various needs, really, in this room this morning, and you know each of those needs. And, and the amazing thing is, is that through what one person shares this morning, because it is your word that I am sharing, you are able to minister and speak to all and, and meet each need. I, I cannot do that, but you can. I'm so grateful, and I'm asking that you would do that this morning. Lord, we love you. We commit this time to you. May what I share be in agreement with what you have revealed, and I pray that it would be given by your Spirit's power. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We'll go up a couple couple slides there, Coco. Um, I remember going on my very first roller coaster ride. Um, I was age seven, seven years old. And I, I'm pretty sure I was seven. If, I, if my memory serves me correctly, I was age seven. Now, at seven, there's a lot of roller coaster rides that you cannot ride. But there was a ride that I wanted to go on. My family went to Disneyland, and we chose to drive down to Disneyland. So it was I-5 all the way on down. I, I still remember um, my brother, one of my brothers, um, fell asleep in the car as we were beginning to make this trek down there, wakes up from his nap and says, Daddy, are we there yet? And my dad said, no, son, we're in Albany, Oregon. We've got a little ways to go yet. And um, <laughs> little did he know, we had a long ways to go. Get down there and we go on. We, we, we had been looking forward to Disneyland. It's the place that every kid wants to go. We get to go to Disneyland. And, and the very first ride that we went on was called Thunder Mountain. Thunder Mountain, you can go up to the next slide there, Coco. Thunder Mountain, it's, it's this, this one over there. Now, it's not like an extreme roller coaster ride. Um, but at age seven, and, and for someone like me, I've always been more apprehensive. Always been kind of like a person that you have to kind of push a bit to do things. That's just how, that's just my, my makeup. And I, the older I get, the more I'm realizing that God has to still do the same thing. Kind of going to push you, Nathan. Got to push you to get you doing this, okay? Well, that's what was happening here. And I think I was a little bit skeptical, but hey, Disneyland is a place to go where every kid likes to go. And so we go, our very first roller coaster ride is Thunder Mountain and we're going on it. And I just remember at age seven, sitting in that roller coaster with my brother and just about almost being scared to death, just like, you know, twist and turns. And there was a point in that roller coaster where, in my mind, you go down this tunnel and there are these rock, these fake rock, that look as though they are going to collapse and fall on you. 
And I remember just almost screaming, ah, thinking that there is a malfunction in this ride and they're going to fall on us and we're toast. It's all over. That was our first roller coaster ride. Maybe my parents should have taken us on Dumbo or on It's a Small World After All. Maybe that would have been the better one to work up to, but it was Thunder Mountain. You know, life can feel a lot like a roller coaster at times, can't it? A lot of twists and turns. Sometimes those twists and turns are expected and we know they're coming. There's times where we, we can see them coming, like maybe if, um, if it's someone going off to college. Well, I know that's going to be different. Or if it is maybe entering marriage. I know that there is a twist and a turn coming here. Or if you've had children, you understand that there is a twist and a turn coming here. Or if it is retirement, this is a twist and turn that is coming. I can see it coming. Or if it is losing, the de- losing a loved one, it is twist and turn. These are all twists and turns. To some degree, these are twists and turns that we know they are probably going to happen. Or, in some cases, we know with certainty it will happen. And then there are those twists and turns that happen, and we don't see them coming. And they catch us by surprise. They're hard, they're difficult for us to work with and accept Because I didn't see that one coming and I don't like it. This is hard. It's a twist and turn that I do not like. We've been looking at Joseph from the book of Genesis. A man who understands full well twists and turns. He knew it because it's his life. It's what he lived. He lived these twists and turns. Through it all. God was with Joseph. The Bible tells us that through it all, even when he was sent to the pit, some of the next words that we read in Scripture are that, and yet God was with Joseph through it all. Not only was God with him, but it tells us that even in the midst of all of these extreme hardship, that God granted Joseph success and favor. Now, that's interesting because that's almost an oxymoron because he is, he is being demoted. He is being sent to the pit, and yet in the midst of all of the hardship, God is still giving him favor and still, uh, still just affirming, Joseph, I am with you. You're going through something hard, but I want you to know that I am there. And not only that, but God had purpose. God had purpose in all of this. You see, there is something greater going on. You and I, as human beings, we can only see so much. And we can only see so far. But God sees beyond all of that. Now, interestingly enough, it took Joseph probably about 22 years for him to begin to make sense of all of the difficulty that he encountered. But he began to see God's purpose and he recognized it. Today I want us to um, end with Joseph. Coco, you can go to the next slide there. Take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 42. I'd like to cover a lot today. 
Um, and I am going to do my very best. Um, I, I really feel like I need to conclude today. I mentioned that Bill McLeod is coming in three weeks, and I am speaking next week and the week after that on a series that is preparing for Bill to come. And so I know that I need to conclude today with this life of Joseph, twist and turns. So I'm going to try to move fairly quick, but I don't want to move so quick that, that you miss where, where we're going here. Genesis chapter 42. Where we last left Joseph last week, Joseph has been elevated to a position of authority, great authority. Only Pharaoh is greater than he is in all of Egypt. And there is a famine. Remember, there was seven years of prosperity. More bountiful than they had ever seen. Followed by seven years of famine. And we're about two years, maybe just under two years in to this famine. And Jacob's brothers, ten of them, go to Egypt to find food. Because they had heard there's food in Egypt. Go to Egypt, you can get some food. Well, as they go to Egypt and gather some food, um, they are sent back, back to their, their homeland, and as, there's, as they've been sent back, by the way, Simeon has been left behind, held kind of hostage, one of the brothers. They're going back, and they realize in their knapsack that they've got silver. That was intended to go to Joseph, and yet that silver is with them. And these guys just tear their clothes. And they just, ah, God, how did this happen? They just feel as though all odds are against them. This cannot be happening. And that's where we left them. Look at verse 29 of chapter 42. When they came to their father, Jacob, in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them. They said, the man who is Lord over the land spoke harshly to us and treated us as though we were spying on the land. You recall that from last week. Verse 31. But we said to him, we are honest men. We are not spies. We were 12 brothers, sons of one father. One is no more, and the youngest is now with our father in Canaan. Then the man who is Lord over the land said to us, this is how I will know whether you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers here with me and take food for your starving households and go. But bring your youngest brother to me, so that I will know that you are not spies, but honest men. Then I will give your brother back to you, and you can trade in the land. Stop there really quick. I, I, I don't know for certain, but I really, I, I do know, I would say this is definitely a test. I think the test goes like this. You rejected me. You disowned me. 20, year, 20 plus years ago, you disowned me for money. Joseph intentionally sent them with food for the family, but he also intentionally had his steward put silver back in their sack. And I think it was a test. I'm giving you food. I'm giving you money. Are you going to disown Simeon, your brother, as you disown me? Have you changed or are you the same? I don't know. That's reading between the lines a bit. 
But I, I really tend to believe that's what's going on here. I do know this is a test. What are you going to do? How are you going to do, go about this? Let's read on. Verses 35 to 38. As they were emptying their sacks, there in each man's sack was his pouch of silver. When they and their father saw the money pouches, they were frightened. Their father Jacob said to them, You have deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And now you want to take Benjamin. Everything is against me. Then Reuben said to his father, You may put both of my sons to death if I do not bring him back to you. And trust him to my care and I will bring him back. But Jacob said, My son, you will not go down there. He will not, my son will not go down there with you. His brother is dead and he is the only one left. If harm comes to him on the journey you are taking, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in sorrow. Jacob, the father, is saying, okay, I understand that the only way that, that we can really see Simeon again is if we send Benjamin it's not going to happen. We're not doing it. He said, it's not going to happen. I have lost Joseph. Now I've lost Simeon. I'm not about to lose Benjamin, Benjamin, my youngest son. Interesting words, aren't it? Aren't they? Because he's saying he's my only son. He's not your only son. I wonder how these other brothers dealt with this and how they were feeling with those words. But these are the words that Jacob said I'm not about to lose my only son, Benjamin. So, so Jacob was, was pretty well set on, this is not going to happen. And yet God has a way of working even when people are set in their ways. Doesn't he? And we can get set in our ways, can't we? Chapter 43. Now the famine was still severe in the land. So when they had eaten all the grain they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, go back and buy us a little more food. I kind of wonder, this is, time has gone on here. I wonder if the father is hoping that the brothers have forgotten about the ruler, a.k.a. Joseph, if they're hoping that he has forgotten. But Judah said to him, The man warned us solemnly, you will not see my face again unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother along with us, we will go down and buy food for you. But if you will not send him, we will not go down because the man said to us, you will not see my face again unless your brother is with you. Israel, that's Jacob, asked, why did you bring this trouble on me by telling the man you had another brother? They replied, The man questioned us closely about ourselves and our family. Is your father still living? Do you have another another brother? We simply answered his questions. How are we to know he would say, bring your brother down here? They're saying, we were just simply answering his questions. He asked the questions. We just simply answered. How were we to know that that he would ask for Benjamin to come? And Jacob is feeling as though all odds are against me. And yet because because they're hungry, because their food is gone, God uses this for Jacob to reconsider. 
verse 8. Then Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy along with me and we will go at once so that we and you and our children may live and not die. I myself will guarantee his safety. You can hold me personally responsible for him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him here before you, I will bear the blame before you all my life. As it is, if we had not delayed, we could have gone and returned two times already. Which gives us an indication a bit about how much time has gone by here. He's saying, Dad, Father, we could have already gone two times if you would have let us go the very first time. I, I love how Judah works. I, I, I'm reading a bit in between the lines here again, but I really sense a different spirit between Reuben, who is almost, he reminds me a bit of Peter, the apostle Peter, who is just kind of quick with the mouth, quick to just say, well, here's how it's going to be. And I kind of see that with Reuben a bit where he, Reuben is just, he just calls out and it, to get his father to agree to send Benjamin. Well, you can kill my two boys. And I just wonder if the other brothers were saying, really, Rubes? Rubes, are you sure about that? Whew. You know, there he goes again, just spouting off information. You could kill my two sons if I don't bring Benjamin back. You sure you want to promise that, Rubes? Don't know about that. And yet Judah here, we have Judah really, I I sense, working differently. He has this way with words and maybe his way with people to cause them to think. And, And I think that Judah comes respectfully to his father and he's saying, Father, if we do not go, we're all going to perish. And he says, I am willing, you will hold me, not my sons, you will hold me accountable to this. And, and the father, Jacob, grants this, and we're not going to read this, but his father, Jacob, says, okay, if you are going to go to Egypt, then this is how it's going to be. You are going to take the best of everything we have, and you will take Benjamin. And if we die... We die. I think he was at the bottom of his rope. What else are we going to do? I don't know what else to do. So since we have to go to, to Egypt, then you take the best of our honey, the best of our pistachio nuts, the, all of the, the greatest spices that we have. I want you to take those. I want you to appeal on, on part of us for our lives. And they they do that. Later on in this chapter, verses 15 to 23, just more summarizing here for the sake of time. The brothers are taken to Egypt with Benjamin. Remember, Simeon is held hostage. He's been held hostage. What was going through his mind? I don't know what was going through his mind. But we know that they could have gone to Egypt and back two times. And I wonder if there is this part of Simeon that's thinking, my brothers have forgotten me, haven't they? What was going through Joseph's mind? 
I think this was a test. Are they going to just neglect him and just move on and leave Simeon here? Will they, will they forget about him? They had to be thinking about this. I wonder, I don't know, but I wonder were Joseph and Simeon speaking at all during this time? I, I don't know. But these brothers are, are taken, nine of them, they're, they're going back down to Egypt. And as they go there, we are told that they are invited over to the house of Joseph. And when they go to the house of Joseph, they panic. And they are, they are panicking for their lives. He wants to make us his slaves, is what they're thinking. He is going to make us his slaves. And so they go and they talk with the steward and they want to talk with the steward. And they say, here's what happened. We had money in our sacks and we did not put it there. I don't know how it got there. And the steward said something interesting. He said, it's okay. God put it there. Yahweh put it there. Why would the steward say that? He put it there. And yet, I, I wonder a bit, and, and why does the steward bring up God? Why would he say, God put it there? Your God put it there. He's an Egyptian. Why does he recognize the Hebrew God? Why is he saying, your God has put it there? Why is he doing this? Again, I, I kind of wonder the conversations that had taken place between Joseph and his steward. How much, how much knowledge did the steward have of God, the one true God? The steward is recognizing, he's saying, your God has put this there. When they go for the meal, look at verse 31 of chapter 43. After... Well, let me back up here. Joseph sees his brothers and sees Benjamin. And it is emotionally too much. And Joseph has to remove himself from their presence. And the Bible says, just weep. He just comes unglued. He goes and he weeps. These are his brothers. This is his family. He's already had interaction with with the ten brothers, but now after 20 plus years, he sees Benjamin, who he was extremely close with, and he had to remove himself from their presence and just weep. And then in verse 31, it says, after he had washed his face, he came out and controlling himself said, serve the food. He had gathered them together to serve food. Verse 32, they served him by himself, the brothers by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves, because Egyptians could not eat with Hebrews, for that is detestable to Egyptians. The men had been seated before him in the order of their ages, from the firstborn to the youngest, and they looked at each other in astonishment. When portions were served to them from Joseph's table, Benjamin's portion was five times as much as anyone else's, so they feasted and drank freely with him. These guys are seated. They're fearing for their lives. They're thinking, we're going to be held hostage. We're going to be made his slaves. And as they are served this meal, they are put in age order. Now, these guys are full-grown men. 
Okay, sometimes you can tell the difference, say, between maybe a 50-year-old and a 40-year-old. Okay, that might, maybe. But with all these brothers here, they were astonished. I think in some ways they were almost freaking out. They were thinking, I cannot believe that he just put us in our age order. He knows all this. How does he know all of this? How does, how does he do this? And, and they are just, gasp, I cannot believe what he has just done here. Look at chapter 44, verses 1 and 2. After this meal, now Joseph gave these instructions to the steward of his house. Fill the men's sack with as much food as they can carry and put each man's silver in the mouth of his sack. Then put my cup, the silver one, in the mouth of the youngest one's sack, along with the silver for his grain. And he did as Joseph said. I think that Joseph is is knowing that my brothers are going back. They have what they need. And I think there is this part of him that is, I really want my brothers. They they have been true to their word. And they're going to go back. So I want you to put my silver cup in Benjamin's sack. The brothers go back. They're released. They go back, all of them. And Joseph sends a steward after his brothers. And the steward finds him and says, what is this you would do? Returning evil for good? How dare you? And they say, "Uh uh-uh, not us. And the steward says, one of you stole my master's silver cup. Who is it? And the brothers, quick to respond again, say, it was not us. We would never do that. We don't do that. They should have learned after all that had happened. We don't do this. This is not us. And they quick with the mouth. They say, whichever man is will be put to death and the rest of us will become your servants if there is a silver cup in our sack. And the steward says, very well. Start with the oldest. And they go to Reuben, look in the sack, and they go all the way down. And so far until the last person, until Benjamin, every sack is just fine. There's no silver cup. But he comes, the steward comes to Benjamin. Aha! And pulls out a silver cup. And how do they respond? How they always respond. They tear their clothes and they call, Ah! I can't believe this has happened again. They just panic again. It's how they respond. And they are burdened because they know that their father needs Benjamin. And they have just said, whichever man has the cup, kill him, and the rest of us become your servants. And they are taken to the presence of Joseph. And they go before Joseph. And they are confronted with Joseph with becoming his servants. And by their word, Benjamin being killed. So look really quick at Judah's response found in chapter 44, verse 18. 
I love again how Judah responded in these situations, which were difficult. Then Judah went up to him and said, Please, my Lord, that's speaking to Joseph, let your servant speak a word to my Lord. Do not be angry with your servant, though you are equal to Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked his servants, Do you have a father or a brother? And we answered, We have an aged father, and there is a young son born to him in his old age. His brother is dead, and he is the only one of his mother's sons left, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, Bring him down to me so I can see him for myself. And we said to my Lord, The boy cannot leave his father. If he leaves him, his father will die. But you told your servants, Unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you will not see my face. And he continued to to explain what had happened to Joseph, what, what, what they had gone through. And Joseph, I, I think, extremely moved with compassion. Chapter, or chapter 44, verse 33, Judah still speaking. Now then, please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy. And let the boy return to his father. To his brothers, how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that would come upon my father. Have these brothers changed over the course of 20 years? Huge change. And, and Judah himself is saying, Hold me hostage. This, this is not fair. I do not want to see my father go through. Any more grieving? You hold me hostage. Would you please take? Take me instead. Release my brothers so they can go. Chapter 45, Joseph's response. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. And he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. So much weeping going on. So loud was the weeping that the Egyptians heard what was going on. Joseph revealed to his brothers who he was, calling out to them. Brothers, it's me. Joseph! Look at me. I'm Joseph. The one you threw in the cistern. The one you, th- you sold into slavery. It's me. I'm Joseph. Can you imagine what was going through these, these brothers' minds? They were speechless. They didn't even know what to say. This is our brother. Second in command in all of Egypt. You've got to be kidding me. How did this happen? I, I think they were speechless, and I think that they were probably rehearsing what they had done to Joseph. I think they were probably rehearsing in their minds all that they had done with Joseph, the interactions they had as they came to Egypt wanting grain, interactions with the silver cup, 
I think they're having to think about all of this and trying to connect the dots. This is Joseph. This has been Joseph all along thinking about this. Verse 5, Joseph said, just before that, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. Now verse 5, and now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will not be plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth. And to save your lives by a great deliverance. Aren't those amazing? Isn't that an amazing perspective to have? Joseph. Confronted with his brothers who have been evil, who were, who were willing to just kill him. And yet now 22 years later, is talking with his brothers, saying, it is me, Joseph. And he is able to say, I want you to know that God had purpose. God had a purpose in what happened. I'm just going to read chapter 50, verses 18 through 20. You can just listen if you want. His, this, this, take, this is a bit later. The brothers have been brought to Egypt. They were given good land. They were taken well care of. But then the father, Jacob, dies, and the brothers are thinking, is he going to retaliate and get even? And so his brothers then came to Joseph and threw themselves down before him, We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Joseph's perspective through all of this. Joseph was able to see the twists and turns that he encountered. And he is able to see that, God, you are working. You are with me in the midst of the twists and turns. And you are also accomplishing purposes beyond that which I am able to comprehend in the moment. But you are working. What an amazing perspective to have. What an amazing perspective if we are to have that same perspective. Joseph's story is kind of a, quote, happy ending story. I like it because it it comes together and the family is one again. But you know what? The story continues on. And the next page over in the book of Exodus, we read that a new king, a new pharaoh, had come to power years later who did not know of Joseph. And all of a sudden, you have Joseph and his family in bondage and held as slaves. More twists and turns. 
But the same God is still in control and still able to use these things that are difficult, these extreme hardships, to bring about something good, his greater purpose. God has greater purpose. This is a story of Joseph. But this is a story of God. This is not just a story of Joseph. This is a story of God. God uses that which is difficult for his glory. God will use hardship. He will draw us to himself through the hardship. He will remind us that he is with us in the midst of hardship. Remember that a lot of hardship that we encounter is not necessarily the doing of God. It's not God saying, (laughs) I'm going to give this one to him or her. No, we live in a fallen world just as Joseph did. There is this free, this freedom that people have and, and his brothers, Joseph's brothers, socked it to him. And yet God was able to use the difficulty and the hardship to bring about something good. And through it all, God reminds us that he is with us in the midst of it and he will bring us out on the other side of it all for his glory. Do you believe that? I hope that you do. Because you encounter hardship. And you are perhaps in the midst of hardship right now. Maybe you feel as though you're in the dungeon. Been knocked a few times. Twists and turns. They come. And if you're not going through something right now, it's a roller coaster ride. And I'm telling you, there's more coming. More ups and downs. There's more twists and turns. Can we be reminded that God is with us? He is with us in the midst of of it all. Hang on. Hang on. If you're on this roller coaster ride, hang on to the Lord. He's there. And... And remember that I believe just as God was with Joseph and just as God was using difficulty to bring about something good, God will do the same. God will do the same for you. And we know that in all things, God works together for good. For who? For those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God always works. He's working. And he might be doing the greatest work when you feel as though you've been bumped a few times by these twists and turns. God's there. He's accomplishing his great purpose. Lord, I thank you. I thank you that you love us, that you are with us. Thank you that you will not abandon us. Father, We also trust that you will accomplish your purposes. And in the midst of difficulty, but I'm so grateful to know that you can turn that which is difficult into something good. You truly bring beauty from ashes. I thank you for that. May we hang on to you and trust you because you are trustworthy. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.